All right, our scripture reading this morning is going to be Acts chapter 28, looking at verses 11 through 31. And if we could all stand together for the reading of God's word. Acts 28, verses 11 through 31. I'll read these verses for us if you just want to follow along. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, and after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apias and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or seen any evil about you. Uh, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Our Father and our God, we ask now for your blessing to be added to the reading of your word. Pray that you would give us all clarity and insight from this passage of scripture. Remind us of Uh, So many of the important truths that we've learned in our study of Acts, and help us as we conclude this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled the sermon for this morning, The End of the Beginning. After about a year studying Acts, we're in the final section of the book, these last 20 verses of the 28th chapter. And before we jump into the text, I want to go back and just remind us of how we started this. Going all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and even a little bit further back uh, to Luke chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke 
Uh, you remember is sort of the prequel uh, to the book of Acts, the, the Acts being the sequel. And so uh, Luke tells us about the ministry of Jesus uh, culminating in his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. And then the book of Acts carries the story forward, uh, telling us about the activity of the followers of Christ after Jesus left and how the gospel has spread throughout the world. And so Luke and Acts really are volume one and two of Luke's writing to Theophilus. Jesus said to his followers back in Luke 24, right at the end of the book, uh, after he rose from the dead, he says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So this was the message, the mission, that the followers of Jesus were given by Christ himself. Uh, Go into all of the world proclaiming the news that if sinners will repent and turn to Christ, their sins can be forgiven. You turn the page over to Acts chapter 1, and then we find Jesus with his followers just for a little bit while longer after his resurrection, uh, before he ascends to heaven. Verse 3 of Acts 1 says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, after his death on the cross, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So 40 days of teaching them about the kingdom. And we're going to get into that more a little bit later as that's very key to our text for this morning. But note there, the content of Jesus' preaching specifically was on the subject of the kingdom of God for these 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, Then in verse 8, right before he ascends to heaven, these are kind of his final words, Uh, to his disciples. He says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is how Acts begins. Christ sends out his followers into all of the world to advance his kingdom on earth. Go proclaim the gospel of my death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins to the ends of the earth. Start in Jerusalem, he says, then go up to Judea and Samaria, that's the rest of Israel, and then go out to the nations. And as we've seen, the book of Acts records the mission of the church beginning to be fulfilled. Uh, Acts only covers, all of our study in the book of Acts so far from chapters 1 to 28, uh, that covers about 30 years of time. Okay, so not not very long if you think about it, only a few decades. Uh, From AD 30 or so uh, is when Jesus first ascended to heaven. That's the first chapter of Acts. AD 60 or so is when Paul arrives at Rome. And so we've got roughly uh, 30 years of the Christian movement here. And the gospel has begun to spread to the ends of the earth. Uh, That's one of the reasons I've been showing you maps along the way. And you may have noticed as we've gone throughout Acts, the maps have zoomed out. Uh, because the gospel is going further and further out into the world. And so you can trace the spreading of the gospel seed. It starts in Jerusalem in the beginning of Acts, those early chapters. Uh, Then Acts chapter 8, the gospel moves up north into Samaria and Judea, the northern parts of Israel. Then it moves up into Syria and into Turkey and into Greece and now into Italy. The kingdom of Christ has spread just through Paul's own preaching in these last uh, 20 chapters or so to places like Antioch, uh, Cyprus, Iconium, Lystra, Pamphylia, Derbe, Troas, Ephesus, Corinth, Athens, Philippi, Malta, and now Rome. And that's just Paul. Uh, While Paul has been doing this, traveling around, starting churches, uh, so have others, Matthew and John and Peter and Philip and and Barnabas and all of these other people 
uh, that we don't have detailed records of, they were doing the very same thing that Paul was. And so Acts 1.8, by the end of the book of Acts, has already begun to be fulfilled, even in these early decades of the church. Uh, the gospel has spread throughout the Roman Empire. And so with that as a backdrop, let's dive into this last section of the book of Acts, Acts 28, beginning with verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. So Paul is being transferred as a prisoner to the city of Rome. Uh, he and the rest of the crew have been staying here in Malta for the winter, uh, where the storm from last week carried them. And so now the winter's over. They've been there for about three months. Uh, it's safe to travel again on the Mediterranean Sea. And so they're leaving Malta, uh, headed that last leg of the journey up to the city of Rome. Verse 12 says, putting in at Syracuse, that's not Syracuse, New York, uh, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, and after one day a south wind sprang up, on the second day we came to Patuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Uh, just so you can kind of trace this, uh, last leg of the journey, here's what it looks like. Uh, remember the storm took them from Crete to Malta, last week we saw that. And now they're on this last little bit, headed up to Rome, and they stop at a few places uh, along the way. And so, as verse 14 says, they came to Rome. Uh, the Lord had promised Paul way back in chapter 23 that he was going to testify uh, for Christ in the city of Rome. And from the time that that promise was made to Paul, it seemed like one circumstance after another was determined uh, to keep it from being fulfilled, to prevent Paul from ever getting to the city of Rome. Uh, first, he was arrested and subjected to endless trials. He was imprisoned for two years in Caesarea. Uh, there were threats on his life from the Jews. They were plotting to assassinate him. Uh, then when he was finally being transferred to Rome, there's this storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. They nearly die. They come to this island and the soldiers want to kill Paul and all the other prisoners so that they don't escape. Uh, then they finally get on the island and the first thing that happens is Paul gets bitten by a poisonous snake. And each of these incidents seems designed to prevent Paul from reaching his destination. And yet here he is. The promise of God to Paul was kept. And so he arrives at Rome. Uh, verse 15 and 16 follow sort of the rest of this trip into the city of Rome. It says, The brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apias in three taverns to meet us. Uh, so they walked quite a distance to kind of welcome Paul and his companions into the city of Rome. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Uh, by the way, it's interesting here that as Paul arrives in Italy, he comes across Christians uh, called brothers there, which again shows you the gospel has been spreading outside of just Paul. Paul's never been to Italy. Uh, this is his very first time in this uh, region. And so uh, somebody else apparently carried the gospel to Italy and to the city of Rome long before Paul even got there. So the message of Christ has already arrived. Verse 16 says, When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Uh, so this is a house arrest sort of situation. Of course, they didn't have uh, ankle monitors like we do today. Uh, instead, if you were on house arrest, basically you would have a handcuff with a little chain attached to a soldier. And so you would be uh, chained to a soldier at all times and they would keep watch over you. And this was Paul's situation for a couple of years. <clears throat> he was chained to a Roman soldier, or maybe more accurately, a Roman soldier was chained to Paul. Uh, because I have no doubt that every time a new guard was transferred in to, to uh, assigned to watch Paul, 
It didn't take long for them to hear the gospel from him. Paul's first action in Rome was to get in contact with the Jewish leaders. So even though he's technically imprisoned, uh, as the text says here, he's actually staying in a rented house. So he has a little bit of freedom. He's not uh, in a cell where he's um, like, uh, you know, blocked off from society. He's allowed to have visitors. He's allowed to see people. And so uh, he's there in this, this house in Rome. And the first thing he does is invite the Jewish leaders to come to him. Uh, this was always Paul's practice whenever he came to a new place. Uh, he would preach the gospel of Jesus to the Jews first and present Christ to them. And then if they rejected the message, then he would turn to the Gentiles and preach to them. Verse 17 says, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or our customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but the Jews objected. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And so they walk into the house, they see Paul chained to the soldier, and so Paul takes a minute to explain to them, uh, I didn't do anything illegal, I'm here because I believe in Christ, he's the hope of Israel, and that's why I am being uh, imprisoned. Verse 21, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So even if the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem uh, maybe had sent some letters criticizing Paul, Uh, to the Jewish leadership here, they likely would not have arrived yet. Uh, Paul's ship, because of that crazy storm, it actually pushed him up close to to Rome uh, very quickly. And so he got there far faster than anticipated. Uh, So letters may have been on the way and just not arrived yet. But either way, uh, they haven't heard anything from the, the Jerusalem leaders about Paul. Verse 22, they continue, We desire to hear from you what your views are. So they're going to let him speak for himself. For with regard to this sect, referring to Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So they've, they've heard of Christianity, they've heard of Jesus, uh, but they don't seem to know very much about it. And so uh, Paul has a great opportunity here to present Christ to them, and that's exactly what he does. Uh, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Uh, We've seen this again throughout Paul's ministry, where he would uh, take passages of the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets of the Jews, and he would show how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Notice also the content of Paul's preaching. This is going to be very important uh, as we continue here. It says he was testifying to the kingdom of God. Uh, John Stott, uh, one of my favorite Bible commentators, says about this text, This seems to mean that he proclaimed the good news of the breaking into human history of God's gracious rule through Christ, and that he linked this with the facts about the Lord Jesus, which he also taught, the facts of his birth, life, works and words, death and resurrection, exaltation and gift of the Spirit. It was through these saving events that the kingdom of God had dawned. The kingdom really is the main theme of the New Testament, and it ought to be a central theme in every Christian church, this idea of the kingdom. 
The mission in the, uh, of the church is to advance the kingdom of God on earth by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you were to ask me in one sentence to explain what our church, uh, our, our mission statement, if you will, is, uh, that would be it. Our job is to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of Jesus. As you look at Jesus' preaching ministry in the Gospels, the kingdom of God was the main theme of his preaching. You see this in all of the Gospels where his emphasis in his teaching is on the kingdom. Uh, for example, Matthew 4, verse 17, from this very early on in Jesus' ministry, says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's saying the kingdom is here, uh, get ready. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So he says they're very important that, that this, is, this is one of the main uh, reasons that I have come, is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Uh, over in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus sends out his followers, his apostles, to do the same thing, to go out in verse, nine, uh, verse 2, sorry, It says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then as we saw in Acts chapter 1, following the resurrection of Jesus, he spends 40 days with his followers. And what is he doing? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so it's no surprise then that the main preaching theme of Jesus, the, the main topic of his ministry, is also the main theme of the apostles' preaching. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the preaching of the kingdom displayed. Whether it's Peter or John or Philip or Paul, they all presented Jesus as the ascended king, sitting on a throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father. They presented Jesus as the king to whom all of us must submit or face his judgment. In Acts chapter 8, we read of the ministry of Philip. It says in verse 12, When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So you see there that the preaching of the kingdom is synonymous with the preaching of the gospel. Uh, As soon as they believed this message of the kingdom of God, they were baptized. So in other words, uh, this is what it means to be a Christian. You're a subject in the kingdom of God. Very important that you not think of uh, the kingdom of God just as heaven or as a future place you're going to, you know, be a part of someday. Uh, No, the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is here. It came when he died and rose again. Uh, He said in the early days of his ministry that the kingdom was at hand. It's about to come. And so the kingdom of God then refers to the rule of Jesus over his people. And it includes all who live in submission to him. So when you become a Christian, you are becoming a subject of King Jesus. When When we read the Bible, we're reading the commands of our king as to how we are to live as subjects in the world. Uh, Those who are a part of the kingdom of God are those who hear and obey their king. And this is the main message of all apostolic preaching in the book of Acts. Paul is not an exception to this. He did the very same thing. Uh, For example, Acts 19 verse 8 says that he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Uh, Over in Acts 20, as he's leaving a particular city there in Asia, Paul says to them, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So this is what Paul did. This is how he describes his own ministry, is I am one who goes around preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of Christ. He presented Jesus as ruling and reigning over his people, and he called people to repent of their sins 
and turn in submission to Christ. Now, it is striking that here at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is preaching this same message in the city of Rome. Uh, This took particular boldness. Uh, This is the heart of the Roman Empire, the very center where the emperor of Rome is honored as the sovereign Lord over all. And here Paul is proclaiming that there's a different kingdom. There's a higher king. And even while Paul is being held here awaiting trial before the emperor, who's going to decide the fate of his life, Paul is expressing his fealty to Christ. And so from morning until evening, Paul preached to these Jewish leaders in Rome the very same message that he had spent his entire life preaching throughout the world. He presented Jesus as king, and he called for them to recognize the authority of Christ and submit to his lordship. Following uh, verses 24 and following show us the, the response of the Jews to what Paul was saying. You know, how did, they, uh, how did they accept this message of the kingdom of God? Verse 24 says, Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Uh, that's pretty typical. Uh, throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts, that's been kind of the pattern. That uh, apostolic preaching, they would present Christ as king and there would be this split response. Uh, some would believe the message, they would repent of their sins and pledge their lives to Christ, others would reject him. And I won't take the time to read through the entirety of this parable, but over in Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus told one of his famous stories that illustrates this point very well. He said in verse 12 of Luke 19, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And hopefully as you read that, it should be clear what he's referring to there. He's talking about himself. Jesus is the one who leaves earth and receives a kingdom for himself that he will then return and rule over. And then in the interim, as Jesus is gone from us now, verse 14 records what some people's responses is to the proclaiming of the kingdom of Christ. It says his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. That's what these Jewish leaders are saying in effect. Uh, Paul is presenting to them the kingdom of God, demonstrating that Christ is the fulfillment of their Old Testament scriptures. And then he calls them to repent of their sins and turn in faith to Christ. And some of them receive the message gladly. Others say, we do not want this man to reign over us. Uh, That's always that split reaction that you get when you present Christ. Now back to our text, verse 25 says, Disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And before we read what Isaiah wrote, I just want to point out that comment there, uh, that that the Holy Spirit said this through Isaiah. Uh, That's what we know as the doctrine of inspiration, that when we read the Bible, it's not just the words of uh, a man. We're not just reading Paul's words or Isaiah's words. Uh, No, this is God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the human authors. Uh, Verse 26, here's the quotation from Isaiah. He said, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their eyes they can barely, I'm sorry, with their ears they can barely hear, with their, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So because of the hardness of the hearts of the Jews, because they've rejected the message of Christ as king, Paul turns to the Gentiles. 
And then these last two verses of the book of Acts, these are such a, a fitting conclusion to the book. It says that Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Two years of proclaiming the kingdom of God in the city of Rome. Now, you might wish to, ha- to, to, uh, to know what happened during this time. Uh, what, what was Paul's ministry like in Rome? What sort of success did he see while he's uh, here kind of in a house arrest situation? We don't have a detailed account of this. The book of Acts ends right there at verse 31, just saying for two years he proclaimed the kingdom. Uh, but we do have some information from Paul's letters. Uh, he writes several of his letters while he's here in the city of Rome. No doubt he has a lot more time, uh, downtime here, as he's no longer traveling from place to place. He's chained to the soldier in his house, and so uh, one thing that he can do is write. And Paul wrote letters to various churches that he had planted during this time, uh, correcting issues that he had heard were going on there, uh, teaching certain key doctrinal points, encouraging them to continue in their faith. But Paul also mentions throughout these letters Uh, things that were going on while he was in Rome. And so here's just kind of a sampling, a few things that I pulled out of these letters uh, that Paul wrote during this time, uh, trying to give you an idea of what this looked like uh, during these two years that Paul was in Rome. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says to them in uh, Colossians 4 verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Uh, So as Acts says, Paul was busy during this time trying to make the most of the opportunity that he had to preach the gospel of the kingdom here in the city of Rome. Even while he's in chains, he's looking for opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. And so he asked the Colossians, pray for us. Uh, Pray that we would have more opportunities, open doors to preach the gospel, and pray that we would have boldness uh, to do so. Uh, This same letter indicates that Paul was uh, starting a a little bit of a church here in the city of Rome, maybe even in the very house that he was staying. Uh, He mentions several other Christians who were there with him. Verse 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, Uh, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, Isn't that interesting in verse 10 there? Mark is reunited with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Mark, you remember, is the one who left Paul and Barnabas during one of their first uh, missionary trips. He kind of quit on them halfway through. And then Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. They had a big argument about whether or not to take Mark with them the next time. Well, fast forward years later, and here Paul and Mark are reunited, and they're ministering together side by side in the city of Rome. Verse 11, Paul continues, Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. So he he calls these brothers his fellow workers for the kingdom. He's trying to advance the kingdom even while he is uh, chained and in prison here. They're seeking to make disciples of Jesus in the city of Rome. Verse 12, uh, he continues, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. 
always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Luke, of course, being the author of uh, the book that we're studying here. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to uh, Nympha and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Aricopus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So here he is sitting in this house arrest in chains. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's busy. Uh, He's working. He's making the most of his opportunities, seeking to advance the kingdom of God, uh, to be an encouragement and a help to the churches that he had spent his life ministering to. He writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, also during this time. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so you can just see front and center in Paul's mind, even here in the city of Rome, imprisoned, he's looking to proclaim the gospel at every possible opportunity. Uh, Paul's boldness paid off greatly during this time. Not only did Paul have opportunities to share Christ with others in Rome, but his testimony, his example of faithfully preaching the gospel even while he's in these uh, unfortunate circumstances, it was an inspiration to other Christians. He writes in Philippians 1, again, from the city of Rome while in chains, he says to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so he sees, even as he's in chains in these unfortunate circumstances, he sees the hand of God in all of this, guiding and directing him, giving him opportunities for the cause of Christ. He closes off the letter to the Philippians again by making a note of the gathering of Christians that were there in the city of Rome. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So even some of Caesar's house had apparently been won to Christ during this time. So Paul was busy. He was spending whatever time he had left telling others about Christ and advancing the kingdom of God in the city of Rome. Paul is a great example for all of us as to how we ought to finish, finishing well as a follower of Christ. Uh, Again, he writes to the Philippians, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There's some indication from writers who lived uh, during this time period that Paul may have been released uh, for a period of about a year or two, and then rearrested in Troas, brought back to the city of Rome, uh, where he was eventually executed. And that second time that he was in, imprisoned in Rome, he was not in a house arrest situation. He was in a very uh, bad prison cell. And this sort of, uh, he didn't have the freedom that he had here. He was in a very dark uh, cell that he writes about. 
And from that cell, Paul writes 2 Timothy. This is toward the very end of his life, shortly before his execution, as he is suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. He says in chapter 2, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So even in these uh, very difficult circumstances, as he knows that he's about to die, uh, Paul still is focused on advancing the kingdom of Christ. Again, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knows he's about to die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so even in these final days of Paul's life, uh, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's seeking to advance the reign of Christ. He's founding a church here in the city of Rome, even while he's chained to a guard. And he writes all of these letters also uh, that are in our New Testament today. We don't know how many people may have been saved during these years or what sort of productivity uh, Paul saw, but we do know of at least one man, uh, one man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave that had fled to Rome, and he met Paul. He became a follower of Christ under the preaching of Paul, and you can read all about him in the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Uh, One more verse, 2 Timothy 4.18, again from that prison cell in Rome toward the end of Paul's life, he writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And those, the final verse, that final verse of 2 Timothy are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. Paul's life was lived for the service of his king. He understood the kingdom of God and his place in it. He saw himself as a subject to his master, his Lord. And so as the book of Acts ends, we see a portrait of a man wholly committed to the advancement of the reign of Jesus over all the world. That same commitment ought to drive each one of us as well. Of course, most of us are not going to be called like Paul uh, to travel around and start churches in the same way that he did. But all of us as followers of Jesus are called to spread the gospel and make disciples of Christ. And in a sense, we as Christians today are writing the conclusion of the book of Acts. As I said at the beginning, this is really just the end of the beginning. The mission of the church was begun in these early years in the book of Acts, and it has continued for nearly 2,000 years since those days. And it will continue until the gospel is preached to the ends of the earth and the reign of Jesus extends to all nations. As John Stott wrote again, the Acts of the Apostles finished long ago, but the Acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world, and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. So the book of Acts is finished, but the mission of the church goes on. The kingdom is advancing even today, and you and I as Christians have the privilege and the responsibility of helping to write the next chapters.